for today. But, but that was good discussion, and I appreciate your um, being attentive and, and engaging in that. Okay, the recorder is on and we can get going. The class is called The Composition of the New Heavens and New Earth. Now remember, as we start this, here's what we're going to do. Next week is also on the New Heavens and New Earth, and I will combine what we don't finish here with that uh, next week. We'll get that in. But we'll do what we can. We're now speaking. Remember that illustration about Miami and Dallas? In this lesson... Back, we're back in Miami. We're back in Miami. We've gone to Dallas. We've stopped over in the intermediate place. And now, in the, in the meantime, God has done a work in Miami. He's leveled it. He's judged it. And now he's made it new and glorious. And so we're on our way back to Miami. And we arrived there this morning. So the essence of, of the new heavens and the new earth is the first thing. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We would think of that as the universe. God created, who in his spirit, created everything material. Everything material. On this earth and in the universe, in our solar system, everywhere. In the beginning, God created that. And he's spoken into being. You know how big the universe is? We could take the next half an hour to talk about how many galaxies there are. And how many stars. And they can only see so far. And he created all of this. Genesis 1.1. And Genesis 3.17, after the fall, the sin of Adam, we find out there that even all of the material Creation came under the curse. He cursed Adam and Eve. He curses Satan. He curses all of the of the creation. And in Romans chapter 8, and I, I love those verses. We looked at them last week. The whole creation is groaning. All of it, not just the earth, but Mars and Neptune and Jupiter, and the whole galaxy, and the whole universe is groaning because I think, what I think is, has happened is the law of entropy came into place. The second law of thermodynamics. Great. We love it. <laughs> you don't know what it is? No. That everything is winding down. Everything is getting old. Everything is going towards destruction. But one day, that's, that's what the curse did. One day, when the trumpet sounds and the whole creation is waiting, this is another reason I am down for one day of resurrection. Not two or three. Because the whole creation is waiting for the day. The day of resurrection. It's crying out, it's groaning to see the sons of God glorified. Because when we are the whole creation, the curse will be lifted. Not only here on the earth, but the whole creation. It's going to be lifted. Romans 8, 18 and, and following talks about that. And then also, turn over to Hebrews 12. We haven't looked at this one, I don't think. But in Hebrews 12, it's interesting. Right now, 
the only place that has not been affected by the curse is the intermediate heaven. Hasn't touched it. Hasn't touched it. It can't be shaken. Let's, let's look at these words in, in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven. Now that's an interesting thing. All those who are in heaven right now, Jew and Gentile, in the intermediate heaven, are referred to as the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Who's the firstborn? Christ. Christ. Who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And to Jesus. Now that would say something about those who would think we're there in spirit form awaiting. That might add some support to their case. The spirits of righteous men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also, and I think you could put here, the heavens, all of the universe. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. In other words, one day he's removing everything that, that can be shaken when he shakes again on that final, that final day. That's the resurrection. Yes. Yes, in other words, when he comes back again, the second, the second coming. So he says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. All the things that are going to disappear that are part of this age and not part of the age to come. As of created things in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. What can't be shaken? Us. Us, because we're in Christ and we have His Spirit in us. Therefore, since we have we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, the kingdom that we're part of can never be shaken. Not for us now, not for all eternity. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I love that passage. There's coming a day when he's going to make a final shaking. And everything that can be shaken will be removed. But those things that can't be shaken, which are part of him, are going to last forever. Yes? In Haggai, where that verse is in the Hebrew scripture of, Mm -hmm. It talks about the glory of what appears to be a physical temple, and in the Hebrew uh, and in the New Testament, we as believers are called the temple of God. Is that 
abounding connection. In your yes, mind. I think it is because you know that right now, First Corinthians would say our body individually is the temple of the living God. I think one of the reasons that God over the last 2,000 years has never allowed the temple to be rebuilt is it was destroyed in 70 AD and we became the temple. Also, it says in the New Testament that we collectively, all of us, everybody who's a believer, make up the temple of the living God. And when you get to Revelation chapter 21, it says, in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more temple. The glory of God will be revealed in the Father and in the Son, and there's no need for a temple there. Yes? The shaking that it's talked about, is that like the shaking uh, of Christians during the, New, during the New Testament when they're persecuted? Or is that the shaking of the earth or the shaking of the spirit or whatever? That's a good question. And what I understand to be going on there is he's talking about when he comes back, such as in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, when he comes with his angels to shake up this world. In other words, to bring judgment and destruction. He's talking about, and those things that can be shaken, those things that he's going to judge, will be removed. And those of us, in other words, there's those who cannot be shaken, which we need to give thanks for, we will be with him for all eternity. So I think the shaking there is a word used for his coming back to deal out judgment to this present age and this present earth and to inaugurate that which is eternal. That's, that's what I see him saying. Okay, Dan? May I read 2.6? So it, it, it's more specific regarding what's shaking and see if that, okay. if that makes any connection. What are you reading from? Haggai 2.6. Okay. That's where the verse Alrighty. is that is being quoted. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Yeah, I think it does show. He's going to be shaking the world and the nations. He's going to be, in other words, you could almost look at it like a sifting process. And he's going to be sifting out everything that's bad and evil, and only the good will be left. And he's going to recreate this. You know, he's going to make this earth new. So I think that fits right in with what he's saying there. Exactly. Okay, look at the, the next one. We've actually made it through number one. Um, the relation of the heavens and the new earth. The relation of the heavens and the new earth. It would seem that they would have the same relationship to each other as they have when they were created, that they have now, and that will be uh, when he restores all things. They will also be restored to their original glory when he created them. The way that Adam and Eve, and maybe even greater than that, that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Remember he said about the creation then, everything he did, he said, it is good. Now, sin has corrupted it all. All right, the essence of the new earth, that's really where we want to go. Um, I wanted to um, read a couple things here to you. If, if you notice in your handouts today, 
Let me just show this to you first of all. Um, you have a chart there called The Existence of Humanity After Christ's Second Coming and Final Judgment. Look at the middle column in the event, the new heavens and new earth, believers only. That's under the label participants. Here's, here's a little summary. Paradise and heaven changed and moved to the new earth. Number two, God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling upon the new earth. Three, conscious eternal fellowship with God in glorified resurrection bodies. Four, free from sin, death, and the curse upon the original creation. Five, living as human beings in a redeemed human environment, but apart from marriage and childbearing. And then six, living life in its fullness, in ultimate joy and communion with all the saints. Those are just some of the key things, and I put some passages down below that. Now, I've given you another uh, page here, and um, I want you to just look at the verses. There's two headings for these verses. One is scriptures which support the premise that the new earth will be this earth restored to its original glory. Those first three are the key ones, I think. Right in the middle of Genesis 48, 3, it says, He will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Now, everlasting is a word that means what it says. Everlasting. There's going to be an everlasting uh, land given to his descendants, but remember, it's the descendants that are only in the one descendant Who's Christ? Because even if there is a Jewish kingdom for a thousand years, that doesn't fit the definition of everlasting, does it? And in the new heavens and new earth, it would be back to the church, Jew and Gentile, for all eternity with Him. So, Genesis... And by the way, remember again the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be thy name, thy will be done. And He's talking about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's another one that would support this earth is going to be the place he's talking about. Look at the last sentence of 11.6 of Isaiah. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then he says, um, he's speaking there about the new heavens and new earth, and he's talking about this earth. And then Acts 13.19 and 22.21, Repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets from ancient time. The reason I put that there is it certainly leads you to believe he's coming here until he comes back here and he restores everything that's been messed up. And I would say, too, if he doesn't do that... Um, then a lot of people would say it doesn't make sense because Satan would have really won quite a victory. He really messed this place up for good. But I think what he's, what God the second Adam is going to do, Christ is going to come back and restore it as it was in Eden at the beginning. Possibly even better. Look at the next heading. Scriptures which deal with the new earth and explain its composition. We're going to keep looking back at this as we go down some of these areas talking about um, the new earth. Let me also uh, 
talk to you too that what happens is again the curse is removed this, this is a central thing look at Zechariah 14 we know from Re Revelation 22.3 it says there will be no more curse here on the new earth when the earth is made new and restored there will be the curse will be removed but look at Zechariah 14 very near the end of the minor prophets just before Malachi chapter 14 and 9 to 11 let me read that to you and the Lord will be king over what all the earth he will be king over all the earth in that day the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one and all the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimmon south of Jerusalem but Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Harmel to the king's wine presses and people will live in it and there will be no more curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security that can't be talking about a millennial period you know why because it says there won't be any curse it's got to be the new heavens and new earth and he will be king over all the earth. So just another one of those passages that tie in the curse being removed and this being the place where he will reign and where we will be with him. Yes, Mom? Back up to Zechariah 426, says, and they will be no light. Oh, yeah. Um, and it will come about in that day that there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. We're going to get into that as we get down through here. So can, if you can hold that, we'll, we'll try to bring it up. Let's talk about letter A, um, which is dealing with topography. What will this new earth be like? And here, here's what I want you to get, at least from what I understand. It will be like this earth and as it was originally created, without sin without the, the ramification. I am convinced that Adam, had he not sinned, could have lived forever. Death didn't come into the picture until he sinned. And all of a sudden he woke up one day and, and realized, I'm not going to be here in this age because of the curse. Because I am now dying. Before that, I don't think he realized anything about that at all. It will be this earth as it was originally created. Its natural beauty will be really seen and possibly even more um, obvious than Adam and Eve ever beheld. It will include all that was good about the original creation and more. It will have mountains. It will be like Eden. Let's read a couple passages on the sheet that I gave to you. Uh, Isaiah 25, first of all. I'll get that on the top here so we can look at it. Isaiah 25. And I'm going to read to you verses 7 to 8 out of Isaiah 25 there. So beginning at verse 7. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples. Even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord, will, Lord God will wipe away tears from their faces. Now the reason I, I put that for us to consider is, is it talks about mountains. 
this mountain. It talks about topography. And it puts it, notice that it puts it in the place that, um, let me go back to where I was reading. It puts it in the place where it says, and God will wipe away tears from their faces and he will swallow up death. Death occurs during the thousand years. This is referring to the new heavens and the new earth. Now look at, um, which I don't think is on this sheet. Let me see if it is. I'm going to read to you from a verse from Isaiah 51 and verse 2. Isaiah 51 and verse 2. And here's what it says. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. When he was one I called him, then I blessed him and multiplied him. Now that is not what I was expecting. So let me let me read on to three and see if that's Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. Yeah, this is where I really wanted to go with this. He will remake, in other words, this present earth. He will comfort her waste places and her wilderness. He will make like Eden and her des desert like the garden of the Lord. The deserts are going to be like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and sound of a melody. So here you're talking about topography and deserts and, and we're talking about mountains and things on this earth. One other path, well, actually two more. Um, Isaiah 65, which is on your sheet. Isaiah 65. And I want to read to you verse 25, which says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now this whole section, this whole paragraph starts out with, Behold, I create new heavens and new earth. In Isaiah 65. One more is out of Ezekiel 36, 35 to 36. So Ezekiel 36, 35. Now I don't believe this is on your sheet. 36, 35 to 36 says this. And they will say that this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. In other words, they're rebuilt. Then the nations that are left round about, you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. So when it comes to topography, I would say things are going to be similar, but far, 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 far better. Jerry and Pat just moved into a brand new home. They sold their home over in Timber Creek and moved to, what's that new place called? Huntington Village. Huntington Village. So they're still living in a home. They still have what, three, both had three bedrooms. Probably a similar number of bathrooms. Do you think they've noticed a difference, however, in the new home versus the old? I bet they have. I bet they have. I hope you didn't mind me bringing that up. <laughs> I'm sure that they've said, this is a home. It's very much like our home, 
that we had, but wow, it's shiny, it's brilliant, it's new. They don't have to call the plumber every day. Not that they had to in the, in the old time. Um, it's going to be this earth, but so much better. Now, let's move on. We've got at least five minutes. We can go through about six of these. In, in relationship to its hydrology, there are some who say, well, Revelation 21 1 says there won't be any more sea. Well, guess what? Many other passages say there's going to be rivers and seas and all kinds of things. And here's one thing you need to know when you see the word sea, S-E-A, you need to know that See, many times in Scripture is a reference to the wicked. There won't be any sea there. There won't be any wicked there. Revelation is highly figurative. And if you looked at Isaiah 57, 20, and 21, you would see it used that same way there. That sea is a reference to the wicked. The wicked. So, what we also find out in, in the books in Scripture, and off this sheet again, let me read to you from... 11, Isaiah 11, 9. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, sounds like water. Sounds like sea. Um, and, and then also in 60, Isaiah 60, 5 and 9. Then you will see Isaiah 65, you will see in the radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. So, sea is mentioned there. And then again in um, Revelation, excuse me, not Revelation, but um, in other places in Scripture, we also see rivers and, and pictures of water. So we shouldn't think that even in terms of hydrology that we're going to be living on a place like Mars. We're going to be living on this earth with beautiful water and water to drink. Do you remember the Lord in His glorified body ate and drank and enjoyed fellowship? What about the climatology? Let's consider some of the passages which speak to this issue. Look at 65, Isaiah 65, 21 and 22. Isaiah 65, 21 and 22. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall also plant vineyards and eat their fruits. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so shall the days of my people. And my chosen ones shall wear, shall wear out the work of their hands. So, Again, when it comes to climate and rain and all the things that we experience, I think the thing that we can say very clearly, by the way, Ezekiel 34, I don't know if, yes it is, Ezekiel 34, look at 23, just a little bit lower on the page. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing 
and I will cause showers to come down in their season, and they will be showers of blessing. What I think you can say is, when it comes to climatology on the new earth, it's going to be similar, but I can guarantee you there won't be any catastrophic weather. I won't have my son Dave calling me saying, out in when I'm in Colorado and he's here, saying, hey dad, um, I'm going over to your house because there's a hurricane coming. We gotta get everything out of your freezer. I don't know how many times he's done that. But then he eats it all. No, he, he retards it because we were eating some frozen candy that I had in there. Um, in one of, one of the doors. I don't think there's going to be any catastrophic weather. It's going to be weather that's a joy and it brings fruit and life and, and all of those things. What about in relationship to astronomical companions? Some say there will be no more sun or moon or stars. That's not what you read in the scriptures when, especially in the Old Testament, it gives you pictures of what's happening. Psalm 72 says that the sun and the moon are going to exist forever. Forever. Psalm 148, 3-6. Turn there with me. I don't think it's on the sheet. Psalm 148, 3-6. We'll just finish up with this one in case you're wondering if we're going to get to lunch. Um, so, Psalm... We're looking at the astronomical companions and we're looking at 148, 3-6. Psalm 148, 3-6. Okay, right at the end of the book of Psalms. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He has also established them for what? Forever and ever he has made a decree which will not pass away. So when some come along and say, well, no, I don't think there's going to be any more sun. No, the interesting thing about those passages is this. Um, there are a couple of passages which seem to exclude the above, but none of those verses actually uh, exclude these companions. It just says that the Lord's glory will shine even brighter. doesn't exclude them because other passages do include them. The emphasis is not on their elimination, but on their being overshadowed by the light of God. Also, many verses speak of this. Even Isaiah 66 22 and 23. Uh, listen to this. For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon. The sun's still going to be there. The moon will be there. We'll still be able to see the moon at night like we've never seen it. Have you seen the moon when it's full here on a clear night? How beautiful it looks. We've never seen it like it will. We've never seen these things happen. Okay, that's where we'll pick it up next week. And I apologize that we didn't get to that far, but I will include what we're doing with our final thoughts. Um, we're talking about right now 
what will this earth be like? And then we're going to add in a little bit next week about what will we be like and what will we be doing. But I think we can do that. Um, hopefully. Any, any questions, any thoughts? I have one question. Yes.
So that's what New Covenant, there's the main three among evangelicals, and New Covenant just says, you know, that uh, Jesus is the hinge pin upon which... Excuse me? The reformed world reformed. That's the new covenant? That's more or less the new covenant? No, reformed guys, um, you know, reformed theologians, there are some of us that are reformed and truly have fellowship in that reformed area. And the issue is, we can be any one of those three, you'll find. So you've got reformed guys that are dispensational, reformed guys that are covenant, and reformed guys that are new. That's why we try to say, these are godly men, and, and we can have these kind of discussions, but ultimately, the Lord knows. <laughs> Be careful again with any system. By the way, there, there, there are guys, for instance, my friends that are New Covenant. John Riesinger, I used to say to him, I said, do you believe in the millennium or do you not? He said, Dwight, when I get to Revelation 20, I just kind of close my Bible. <laughs> He said, that's a hard thing to figure out. So you've got New Covenant guys that are uh, pre-mill, New Covenant guys that are amill, and New Covenant guys that are pan-mill. So you'll have differences when it comes to eschatological things. But I would recommend looking at the book. It was one of the most helpful ones I ever read as I was wrestling with things throughout the years. Yes? Can they still get the book through you? They still can for eight bucks. Because he got one. <laughs> he was in the class that I mentioned that to some of the students. It's only 130 pages, something like that. That's it. Yeah. And it's easy reading. Easy reading. But he outlines his thoughts, I think, pretty well. Well, thank you for your patience. Uh, I'll close. Father, thank you again for uh, the class, and thank you for these folks. Lord, we pray that what we've heard might excite us even more. That one day we're coming back to Miami, coming back to this earth, refreshed, restored, renewed, more beautiful, more joyous than anything we've ever seen. We long for that day. Keep our eyes focused there as we live in this age, waiting for the new age to come. We pray in Jesus' name.